Hi, everyone. Welcome to a special two-episode week of Second Act Actors. I am so excited for this week's episodes. Like I said, there are two of them. They are completely unique and different episodes with two completely different and unique human beings who happen to be married to each other, Stacy and Doug. So they both went to theater school as their first act. Then they decided to not pursue acting after theater school and had completely different careers as their second act. Then they decided to change careers again in that second act and move into a third act, which is what they're now in. Completely different careers from when they started, but both able to really lovely, seamlessly combine uh, their creative endeavors with their careers that they have now today. I'm so excited for both of these episodes. So this first episode is Stacy's episode. So Stacy Shat and I met at um, the wonderful theatrical production of Love, Loss, and What I Wore. I was in the cast, and Stacy was the assistant to the director. And oh my gosh, we immediately bonded. I was like, this is a human being I want to have in my life. She likes whiskey, she likes live music, and she's one of the most fun, joyous, happy people I've ever met. Her story is amazing. I'm so excited for you to hear it. Get your tissues ready. Please enjoy Stacy Shaft. Hi, Stacy. Hi, Janet. It's, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's so nice to be here. Oh, it's just so lovely to see you. I find just like connecting with people, even though this over this virtual realm, it's just it's still so good for the soul. It's oh, it's so, it yeah, it's so important. We've been isolated for so long, you know, it's good to, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So you and I met the lovely love loss and what I wore. Play. What a great production. <laughs> what a gift, eh? What a gift in a crazy time it was. It was crazy. It was so stressful, but not, but like in a way that was just interesting. Like, I don't want to forget the feelings because I feel like we'll never, hopefully, be in a global pandemic trying to put on a play ever again. Like, it was just such an interesting group of people, and we had to become like friends super, super fast, and we only rehearsed it in person twice, three times. It was just bananas. And 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 you held on for so long. Like, the rehearsal process kept getting expanded because the play was being pushed back. And yeah, it was really a lovely community that was formed. And it was something that, I don't know about you, but I just looked forward to every interaction. Like, I felt like it was like keeping my head above water, you know, like something to look forward to. Absolutely. I think it was a, yeah, it was a breath of fresh air and kind of a crazy time. And then just the nicest people who I was not expecting to meet people at all during a global pandemic, but then to meet all of you was just such a gift. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because we recently had a dinner party with people that we didn't really know very well. I had never met them. And I was so high on life afterwards. And I said to Doug, that's my, my husband, I said, it's been so long since I've met a new person, you know, and that interaction and that learning and that in, in sort of inquiry into their lives and curiousness was so exciting, you know, and that's why I felt when I met all of you, it's a be, you know, we'd been just sort of either locked in our heads or locked in our houses. And so the fact that we actually got to 
really cherish meeting someone new and taking the time to get to know them was really, you know, the great pause has been good for some of these things, you know. Yeah, and I think what was nice as well is that we all, all I think, were feeling that way, but also we're, I know, I don't know about you, but I felt like my social skills had like atrophied. <laughs> like, okay, how do I meet people again? Right, maybe, right, maybe right. don't start with the fact that you have a Harry Potter themed guest room that might scare some people away, <laughs> right? How do I socialize? <laughs> but it was just lovely to be with like generous, lovely human community theater human beings who just. Yeah, are weirdos like me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it was great. (laughs) A blessing for sure. Stacey, tell me your story. Tell me, tell me your life story. What's your origin story? Oh my God. You know, when you asked me to do this, I thought, oh, imposter syndrome. It was like the first thing that came up, you know, and we had a bit of a laugh over that. So I think my story is that I was born of Beth and Rick, who were two incredible, who are two incredible human beings who were both really raised in poverty. You know, uh, my mom's indigenous and my dad was immigrant and uh, I'm an only child and they worked really hard not to make me a typical only child, but I totally am in a lot of ways. Um But one thing that I was really lucky about is that they really valued community and they really valued culture. Um, We went to every free music festival there was. We went to every free play there was. Um, My dad's company ended up sponsoring Shaw Festival. So we would get like reduced tickets and sit in the back row. So theater was like really in my blood growing up. Um, So yeah, that was just my passion. And I think I was saying to you, you know, Uh, I feel like a bit of an imposter because I feel like the acts of my life have gone in a different order, you know, like act one was for me to to try theater and I did plays from the time I was a little girl and ended up at Ryerson Theater School, which was like amazing experience. Like it's still one of those things where I'm just so proud of my journey there. Uh, And then... I got sick and had to bow out of that act of my life. So, yeah. So I'm kind of uh, in a third act, I think, right now. Tell me about theater school. As someone who never went, and my gut instinct is, oh, I'm jealous that looks so fun. But then I hear some interesting stories. Yeah. So... It is fun. It is also fucking terrifying. And it's so... Gosh, they make it so that they want to break you. It really is true. Like, there's something about, like, what are you capable of? How much rejection can you take? How deep can you look into yourself to figure out if this is what you really want? Um, I loved all that. Not necessarily in the moment, but looking back, I just think that it really helped develop who I was. Um, the people I met were, were incredible. I was exposed to so many different genres. I was uh, 
the thing about Ryerson that I loved is that, you know, every morning we had to have a physical activity class. Sometimes it was trampoline, sometimes it was ballroom, sometimes it was Tai Chi, you know, so I got to learn all these different skills and they would bring in directors to work with us. And it was the first time I ever learned what improv was. They also made me sing and dance, which I can't do, you know, Um, and they made me search way deep into my soul, you know, when I was like 22 and just didn't know what that was. So... For me, my experience was really precious in informing who I was and the choices I made going forward. It was tough. Like I really, um, you know, in second and third year, they really kept you in a schedule that would be like a professional theater. So it really taught you discipline. In my third year, which was the final year, Ryerson was a diploma course, we went, uh, Monday to Saturday. So Monday to Thursday, we went 10 to 10. And Friday and Saturday, we went 10 to 6. And we had call times when we had to show up. And we had designated breaks and lunchtime. And we would always have a 12-hour turnaround time like the union would give you. So it really, they worked really hard to make you aware of what it would be like to be a working actor um, and how tough it would be. But the actual like personal journey was unlike any other. I, it's funny because I see the similarity between theater school and medical school in that it trying to break you. And I should say, and as, as an aside, I know it's not every medical school or every theater school. I had a great medical school experience, but trying to break you, but in the exact opposite way, as in how much can you handle without showing any emotion? Oh, yeah, you don't even get, you wouldn't even have gotten that outlet Nope. Right. So like you need to, if you are feeling grief because your patient is dying in front of you, nope, you right. cannot show it. So the emotional restraint that was taught, again, how much can you handle? Uh, discipline in a different way. Totally different, right? That's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. Neither healthy. Well, yeah, that's what makes me think is like when you finish medical school, medical school, or you go into the real world after theater school, it's like, what, how do you relearn, right? Or, or learn different habits or coping skills that are a bit more balanced. Yeah. And I, and I wonder if there's got to be parallels, right? Between the atrophy rate between people who come out of theater school and go and try and be working actor and then say, Ooh, I don't know if I can do this. And same with medicine, right? I think it's true. I think in a lot of high pressure, high stakes, high rejection careers, when you're like, Ooh, maybe I don't want to do this anymore because of the, the breaking point that they tried to reach you at. And I don't know, I, I don't know what the answer is, but I, I feel some similarities between the two. Absolutely. I think there's also a a thing about self-definition, right? So like for actors, I think we're defined by the roles we get, the success we get, the agent we get. Um, Monetary can't be you know, your definition of success. And I, and I would guess that in medical school, what you've set up for success sometimes, saving every patient, not realistic, you know? Uh, so you really have to yeah, kind of alter how you define yourself and, and how you value yourself. What you deem as successful or what your expectations of the career are, are completely, f- maybe not completely, but pr- a lot false, 
right? Like you're like, oh, I wasn't planning on patients acting this way, colleagues acting this way. Same thing with entertainment industry, right? The industry being the way it is, where all you want to do is like do your art when you're like, oh, I'm going to go audition for 80 Taco Bell commercials the next year. Right. You know, it's funny. A year after I graduated from Ryerson, one of my good friends from theater school called me up. And she was a triple threat. She is a triple threat. And and she said to me, if I stopped acting now, will you think less of me? Will you think that I've failed? And I remember saying to her, no. The fact that we made it through this is all that counts. If you want to go on and do another career instead of acting, that doesn't mean that you failed. What it means is that for three years, we looked ourselves in the mirror and we learned skills that I feel, you know, brought us maybe ahead of the curve in regards to emotional intelligence and self-reliance and self-acceptance. I said, I think anyone who makes it through theater school needs to be congratulated, you know, like I really do. Uh, and, you know, this particular friend has gone on to have an absolutely kick-ass stellar career, uh, you know, but even her, she had a, a doubt, you know, of whether or not it would be failure. And I thought, no, nah, I don't think any kind of self-examination or testing of your limits is failure. I think that's success. And I, I think it's also exactly what you were saying is we're putting it on ourself. Because like, what true friend would ever think that changing a career equals failure, right? I think about the only person who would think that's a failure if they're a true friend is you yourself putting the failure on yourself, right? I, and I think the other piece of it for actors is that a lot of us had to work really, really hard to convince our family units to let us go to theater school or we just went. Now, I had support. So my dad has said this to me a couple of times. He went to Ryerson also, but he went for metallurgy, which is now like engineer. Um, so we have the same alma mater in like completely different ways. And he would take me to my theater classes when I was like, you know, in grade eight. And he would go to the no neighboring bar and like have a beer and read his newspaper, then pick me up and take me home. You know, so he was really involved, but he was like, you're kind of like maybe too smart to go to theater school. Like you should do something like intellectual. Well, I spent all this time convincing him that I should go to theater school. And finally, he said, all right, you got to follow your dream. So it came time to apply for universities. And I got the notice of like what I had to do to apply for Ryerson. And it scared the shit out of me. And I withdrew my application and I applied to psychology at Laurier. And they gave me this little pot of scholarship money. And I went, that's what I need to do. And I went off and I did a year of psychology and I got back that summer and my dad looked at me, my mom looked at me and they were like, who are you? We don't even recognize you. Like where, where did Stacy go? You spent all this time convincing us that this is what you wanted to do and then you didn't follow your dream. Mm -mm. And I went, you're right. So I had missed the deadline for applying to Ryerson again. So instead, I applied to Waterloo University. I took every course that could be transferable with the idea that after that second year, I would then apply to Ryerson again. And there was just something about that 
backing from my parents, that, that reflection saying, Hey, you just spent your whole life convincing us this is what you want. And you got scared. (laughs) How dare you? You know? So I think there's a lot to do with that. Like people, it's a bizarre career choice, really. (laughs) Well, it's not a, it's not a traditional career choice. Right. And I think it's also people who love us are, you know, trying to protect us as well too. Right. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I have two parents who, yeah, like you know, there was poverty growing up for both of them, you know, and that's not what they wanted for me. So what was it about the application that scared you? <laughs> oh, God. So it, it, it wasn't that you had to do a monologue. The thing was, is that you had to write your own piece. And in your own piece that you wrote, you had to have singing, you had to have movement, and you had to tell a story about yourself that gave the judges some some indication of who you were as a person. And it had to be two to three minutes. And I thought, what? I, I want to do a Canadian monologue, and I want to do a Shakespearean monologue, and then I want to leave. But they didn't want that. And I just didn't... I got scared. I didn't know how to reveal myself that way. Um, I also have a terror... F- terror of singing in public and uh, I've never been wonderfully connected to my whole body so movement seemed weird so I just didn't think I could do it Um, but the second time round I thought I'm gonna do it and I did and yeah I got in (laughs) that's awesome and to have that support from your parents and that yeah that I think that's pretty rare yeah, and they've been they've been great my whole life, sort of taking a, a making me pause and look in the mirror and decide if I'm in the right spot for my journey, you know, and helping me make some tough decisions. So tell me about your time as much as you want to get into it after theater school. Mm. Um, the time after theater school was thrilling, to be honest with you. Like we're all so full of hope and promise and, you know, you spend all your time auditioning and trying to get an agent. I had problems getting an agent. So right there, that should have told me something, but, um, it was wonderful, you know, and I did, I did make some money for a year or two and, and, uh, I ended up actually morphing into sort of the, the background side of theater. I ended up managing a theater at Young and Bloor Street in downtown Toronto. Uh, and that was where the run of the vagina monologues ran for, for like two years. And I was first front of house manager and then theater manager. And, and during that time, I realized, wow, like I really, I really like this, you know, like just being involved in theater. But, uh, and then, oh God. So then I I get cast in a Shakespeare show um, with a great company, Driftwood Theater Company. And we're roaming all around Southern Ontario. We're in outdoor parks. We're doing plays. And, oh, I, and I've been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is a bowel disorder. And there is nothing as terrifying as not knowing where the nearest bathroom is when you're in the middle of a Shakespearean production. Oh, my golly. I was so stinking sick and terrified all the time. It was really, um, I don't mean to make light of it. It was awful. It was awful. Um, so that kind of ended acting for that period of my life because I just literally couldn't do it. Uh, and it felt awful to have your body fail you like that when you've worked so hard to 
to get there. But I found this other beautiful side of things, and I loved working with a team of people behind the scenes. I love writing my reports and meeting the actors and learning from the stage managers. And my God, the sound and lighting technicians out there, they're all so brilliant. You know, like it was really wonderful. And then, um, yeah, I, I guess the short of it is my ulcerative colitis flared up. I got too, too sick to work anymore. I moved home with my parents at 27. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and then I had a brain hemorrhage. So I had a subarachnoid brain hemorrhage, uh, which was very life-altering. Um, so I really had to come to terms with what I was capable of. And so I had to leave theater behind. Um, so the recovery was pretty long. And uh, when I came to the other side of it, I decided to go to teacher's college, which is funny because my whole life people have been saying to me, you should be a teacher. I'd be like, no, no. <laughs> but I did. I did. I went to teacher's college and uh, I taught theater and I taught grade four and and it was good for a while until it wasn't and I had to take a look back at what was missing from my life and I'm so grateful for my theater background because during that time when I was at Ryerson and the years afterwards I really understood what joy felt like I understood what it felt like to be free, to have a source of creativity, to feel unencumbered in my soul, to feel like real connection was like all these things that drive me, you know, and I didn't have that during my teaching career. I wasn't in the right spot and there was a million reasons why, you know, but I just was stuck, you know, I was static and uh, it was my mom who came to me and she said, you need another change. And I said, what? I have a car and I have like a mortgage and like I have benefits and I've got like a matching RSP contribution from my boss. God, I was so dismissive of my mom. I was so dismissive that I was in the wrong spot because I thought I was doing what society said I should do. I should make I should make some money. I should put it in the bank. And then, you know what happened? I got too sick to work again. And it was at that point I did some deep searching. And I thought, all right, I'm going to jump off the cliff. So I quit my teaching job in a time when, like, there were no teaching jobs to be had. Why would you do that? And I moved to Huntsville a place I'd never lived before. I knew nobody. I had no job. But I had this deep sense of knowing, this deep sense of knowing that I could recoup physically and spiritually, that I would come to a place in my life where I could use really the tools that I had gained in theater school to figure out what I really needed and to manifest it to like attract it to myself. Um, yeah. And so that's what I did at like, um, 34. <laughs> so yeah, a little bit of a reinvention. And then what happened? <laughs> well, More. then, yeah, no, it was great. I, you know what? I, I, I go to Huntsville and I find this place to live 
And I, I hadn't done theater in years because like the last time I'd done theater, I kept having to like poop in a thousand different bathrooms because of my ulcerative colitis. God, I'm sure no one wants to hear that. But I found this church in Huntsville. It's um, the Trinity United Church. And the minister, Derek Shelley, who unfortunately is no longer with us, was running an improv group in the basement of the church. And I thought, I'm going to do it. I'm going to show up. And it just opened things for me. I met a community of people who I connected with. I just started to heal through, I think, laughter therapy, pretty much. I just laughed and laughed and laughed. And I had these these wonderful people in my life that were supportive. I ended up doing my first play for the first time in I don't even know how many years I had lost track. And I could feel myself healing. And then I landed this fabulous job at an organization called YWCA Muskoka. I was able to use my education background, but it was in a way that I wanted to. I wanted to work on the emotional intelligence and life skills of youth. I was not really interested in whether they knew their times tables or whether they could spell properly. To me, that wasn't the essence of what youth needed. Um, and then I thought, hmm, what's the missing piece? A partner, a life partner. Um, I always said to myself throughout my life that there are sort of three facets to your life. So there's your friendships, there's your intimate romantic relationship, and then there's your work, your, your, your profession. And if you can have two out of three of those, that is a good life. I never imagined I could have all three of them. I just, I just didn't think that was fair to ask. But I got to a place where after a lot of like looking into myself, a lot of walks out in the winter and the snow and um, that I thought, okay, I think, I think maybe, maybe I'm an okay person. <laughs> maybe, maybe I deserve this. Oh God, it was so hard. So I, uh, I took a leap of faith, the second one, and I put myself on eHarmony and uh, the first man I got matched to, I'm married to. <laughs> and the joke that we have between us is I almost like didn't have any communication with him because he said he was an actor in his profile. He said he was an actor and I have dated actors and they are a pain in the ass. I wanted nothing to do with them. But my mom and her girlfriend, bless them, they were up for the weekend they saw his profile and they said, Stace, he's perfect. He's perfect. Do it. And yeah, that's Doug. I love it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if any of that makes all any kind of sense, but I just really think that if it hadn't been for like my first act of life at Ryerson, yeah. I couldn't have known that my second act was the wrong act. I was in the wrong gear. And I didn't, I wouldn't have known what the third act of my life could have felt like, how it should feel mm. if I hadn't been given that gift of, of theater, um, of, of that sort of, you know, community, that connection, that self-reflection, that, yeah. that joy, that joy that comes from creating. 
Yeah. And that's so much what I've learned from chatting with people and what I felt in myself is missing from a lot of people's first acts that were not the traditional go to theater school is, yeah, that, that feeling of, I must do what society tells me. You make the money, you get the car, you contribute to the RRSP. Congratulations, gold star. But there's so much of that that just gets rid of your creativity. And I didn't realize, and a lot of people don't realize, that they're missing that until you kind of can step back into it. And you try something like an improv class or a play at your community theater, and you're like, oh, whoa. <laughs> wow, what is this feeling, what right? What is this feeling? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> this unbridled oh, passion and feeling and yeah and I also think like in my reflection of how ill I've been and the chronic illnesses that I've I've had it's actually been kind of helpful yeah because I had to completely adapt to my mindset I wasn't going to make a lot of money and have a fabulous career I accepted I wasn't going to have children. I wasn't going to have that typical life, you know, those markers. So I was able to let go of some of that like pressure and expectation I put on myself in regards to what success looks like, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, success, success is defined, should be defined by oneself, mm-hmm. not by society. And you wonder that whole like nature versus nurture thing, right? And I think, well, because if your parents aren't pushing you to be the society's version of success, that's got to play a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. But I also, I don't know, man, my parents never pushed me to do that. There, I was, I was raised with very creative individuals, but somewhere along the line, there was a brain switch that said, nope. You're going to tunnel vision your way down through science. Mm. And so, again, I don't know. Or, and then I know that happens for a lot of people. I don't know where that shift comes from. Or if it is just, you know, it comes from living in society for so long. What society values. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And definitely it doesn't value creativity until you get to the point where you verbally say out loud to society, I'm burning out. And, and then society goes, oh, no. Mm-hmm. what can we do to help with your self-care? And you're like, it's the creativity that's been missing that you told me not to do. <laughs> right. Were yeah. your parents shocked when you decided to go into medicine? So my mom, who, um, again, Sally's no longer with us, but my mom had this great story that she used to tell at my high school graduation ceremony. When, because I was in the band, I was in every band I could get my hands in, every choir I could, I did plays. I was in a touring theater production company. Like I was just... Oh, I did video editing. Like I was, I was, I was surrounded by creative people. My parents are musicians. My sibling is an artist. Like it's just so creative, creative friends. Anyways, (laughs) back to my story. My mom has a story where she's sitting beside someone, I don't know, at the grad, grad ceremony. And they were saying what people were doing after. And they, I walk across the stage and they say, Janet McMorty is going to do her bachelor of science in kinesiology with a minor in health, health studies. And the lady looked at her and was like, what? <laughs> like, like Janet McMorty? What? Did oh, they read oh, that wrong? Okay. My, I don't know if my parents were surprised, because I think there was kind of, I really enjoy science. I love the science. But I think it was just like, oh, so she's not going to do anything creative? Mm. Okay. All right. Well, just 
let her do what she wants to do. Right. <laughs> she won't ask questions. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I don't. Yeah, there was never pressure. I don't think there was ever surprise because my parents were so like, yep, she's she's gonna forge her own path and she's stubborn as an ox. Is gonna do whatever she wants. <laughs> but right. it's interesting now. My dad does recognize a lot of that. Like he'll mm-hmm. say if I'm calling him up and I'm stressed and anxious, he'll go, "Ooh, you're not journaling anymore, are you?" He's a very creative, has always been a creative person, but he did very similar things, kind of shut down the creativity and did the work, 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 and is now Mm -hmm. realizing how important that was in his life. And yeah, recognizes it in his kids too. So yeah. What an interesting way to connect with your dad now at this age, right? Like what a gift that is to have Mm -hmm. that language between each other. Yeah. It's really, that's really beautiful. It is. And it's very, it's very freeing because it makes you feel like you can be open about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And there's no judgment. Like, you know, what you said about the burnout, right? Like I left teaching at five years and the statistics of the amount of teachers who leave five years or, or less into their career is outstanding. It's a problem. Oh yeah. New teachers are burning out all the time. So many of them never hit their five year mark. Hello. That was my statistic, you know, yeah. and yeah, to, to step, step away from the shame of it. It's really, I have to say my friends at that time who are still my friends now were unbelievably supportive mm-hmm. when I said, I'm out of here. I'm quitting this job. You know, everyone just, no one said to me, are you crazy? Right. Like you're giving up your benefits. You're giving up this money. Like none of them. They were just like, you have to go. You have to get better. You have you have to do something else. Like you're not happy. You're not healthy. And and I'm so proud of you. That's what I heard so much. They were so generous to me. When really, I really made a crazy choice. <laughs> it's really unconventional choice. But I was so gifted to lucky to be surrounded by these people who were so insightful into what I needed. You know. Well, it reminds me of the story you said right at the beginning with your friend from theater school who was asking if you're like you thought she was a failure, right? Like mm-hmm. the true friends are going to be like, be like, no, like what do you need? It's mm-hmm. not this clearly. No, and and I don't fault anyone who does want that, that wants financial security, mm-hmm. an education, and a really nice home. You know, everyone is motivated by what they need to feel safe and just feel happy. And I'm just grateful that I really was forced into looking into myself at a really young age to figure out what my values were and to figure out what made me tick in order for me to, I mean, I got lost. I got lost along the way during that second act. Holy cow. But I'm I'm happy to be back in this balanced, more balanced approach to life. Do you have any advice for anyone going through a similar struggle? I don't know. I just think I'm not necessarily good at following this advice, but at the time I really felt that if it scared me, I needed to do it. Mm-hmm. And I really think that sometimes when you jump off the cliff, so to speak, metaphorically, that you will gain your wings on the way down. Mm-hmm. That if you're constantly waiting to have the tools in place before you make the change, you'll always find a reason not to. Oh, that's so interesting and so terrifying. As somebody who's completely logical and wants all the boxes checked and all the steps done, 
it's terrifying, but yeah, very like freeing. Haha. <laughs> like it, it is right. Totally. It's, and it's, I, I hear you like, you know, we've done a lot of personality testing at my work and my number one strength is a ranger. I am an arranger. I need all my boxes ticked and everything organized. Um, so I get, I get what you're saying, you know, and sometimes I'm not great at following my advice. Um, and, and I think I'm going to probably re-listen to this <laughs> podcast so I can keep myself accountable for the next changes in my life that are coming. You've been around actors for a long time and actors from all different walks of life. Now in your work with community theater as well, too, do you notice a difference between people who've been to theater school and are acting and people who come from all walks of life and are now acting. And I'm not meaning like, oh, one is better, but it, mm-hmm. because it's not at all. But do you notice a difference? That's such a fascinating question. You know, it's funny because the first thing that pops to my mind is the word vulnerability. And I'm not really sure. I'm apt to say that people that have been to theater school are a bit more comfortable with vulnerability. I would totally believe that. Yeah. So, yeah. But I think the other thing is, is, yeah, I, but there's also the other fl- the side of that coin is that they, they expect to be good at everything. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so that can be a problem. <laughs> I think, honestly, the people who didn't go through theater school probably expect that as well, too. Hence the reason why we flip through so many different careers, because they're like, I'm a promising beginner. Look at me go. And then as soon as you hit that threshold where being a cute little promising beginner is not cute anymore, you're like, oh, crap. Now, actually, now the work needs to happen and now I'm frustrated and I'm just going to quit because frustration doesn't feel good. <laughs> oh, that's such a good point, right? It's like, like beginner's luck and then once yeah. it wears off and it has to come down to hard work, yep. do you love it enough to keep going, right? It's, but it's not so much beginner's luck as well. Well, it is. But also there's that feeling of, oh, well, she's just a beginner. She's just trying this out. He's just starting it out. She's never done improv before. How long can I keep using that excuse is why I'm so terrified of doing improv, right? I don't think I can anymore. <laughs> Darn yeah. it. But I, I don't know. Terrified seems to work for you. Right. Like, I am... Your level of risk taking is absolutely blows my mind. Like I would like to be more like you. Oh, like I, there's just, I mean, I know you say you're terrified for, for improv, but what I see is just someone who is just out there taking all the risks and is succeeding. It's just, ah, I think it's thrill. It's thrilling to watch you do improv. Oh, thanks. It's it's so, your brain is such a beautiful place. Oh, God. (laughs) Maybe sometimes. I feel the feeling is mutual about your brain. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Do you, I I always, I always switch the subject immediately when people say nice things about me because I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, thank you. (laughs) I'm going to edit this out. My love language is words of affirmation, so I should probably not edit it out and just keep listening to it whenever That's I feel right. like that. Yes. <laughs> uh, but do you have any fun or funny stories from your time on set or on stage or theater school or anything like that? Any fun stories? Oh, God, I did have a story to tell you, but I wasn't sure if it was appropriate. 
<laughs> you can tell it, and if you don't like what it sounds like, you can. I'll just edit it out. <laughs> well, it's funny. I was ruminating on that, and I think we all have stories where we've like totally blanked and forgotten the line, or you know forgot our entrance or all that stuff but I have a really scarred scarring memory of being in theater school and we were rehearsing for hair the musical hair Mm -hmm. and we were keeping essentially union standard hours so we had our break at a certain time our lunch at a certain time and we were doing a dance rehearsal and it was hot and we were tired and we were sweaty and I was on the back of this man so that my my classmate doing this dance move and I suddenly became very very aware that I had just gotten my period in the most forceful way (sighs) suddenly and violently yes just like the play you were in and the line you had to say I suddenly and violently got my period and he was wearing a white tank top And I was piggybacking him, and I thought to myself, I can excuse myself and go to the bathroom, but that will not be seen as professional, because our break is coming up in 12 minutes. So what do I do? So you know what? I didn't take the break, and I I, I was so distracted. I'm a horrible dancer. I can't sing. It was all very, very hard to stay focused, and I was rehearsing what I was going to say to this guy. When I bled through onto his shirt. Luckily, I didn't. And I managed to get myself in the bathroom. And my girlfriends rallied. And we took care of business. And I came back. But I just remember thinking that there's something about, like, my level of discipline. I was not... I'd rather be humiliated than to show them that I couldn't stick to this schedule, you know, that I couldn't work this hard. It's like, oh, oh, but mortifying. Like, I still have moments where I think, oh, this could have been scarring. God. (laughs) I've never actually really told that out loud, the other to my husband. And that man never knew. Never knew. (laughs) No, no. Oh, my God. There are stories of doctors who are super sick doing rounds with an IV pole in and you know stuff like you know like this that happens and makes you realize like why are we doing this to ourselves you know this is and even like some of your your stories with your ulcerative colitis right you're like nothing is more important than the health of our bodies like but to put that aside to be like look at how disciplined I am right Right? I know and world why do we value that? My, I think we've talked. My my cousin's a, a family doctor, newly graduated, and and she was doing her rounds at the hospital when she went into labor. Oh my god! And she finally, whoever was you know supervising, finally put her in a wheelchair and and wheeled her up to labor and delivery while she's saying, "I have to finish my rounds." It's insane. And I just think oh, her name's Bailey. I just love her more than anything. And I just think that's so. Bailey, that's just so the way we are, you know, and yeah. it's, yeah, we're really, it's that level of dedication and, yeah. you know, maybe, yeah. maybe a tiny bit of stupidity. I don't know. Because <laughs> I certainly should have just gone to the bathroom and excused myself. <laughs> they would have kicked you out of the pretend union. <laughs> that's right. The pretend union. That's right. God. <laughs> you know, if I could go back and do theater school today, gosh, I would love to do that. I really, you know, I really 
feel like I would be even more successful now mm-hmm. because I know myself better and I have more confidence and I would stand up for myself in a different yeah. way, you know? Yeah. I, I feel that about a, about a lot of stuff. Like I think there's that great quote in Harry Potter about sorting people into houses and Dumbledore says, I think we sort too early. Like we put people into houses too early and you think about like theater school and university, like we really kind of drive home, like, what do you want to be? What do you want to be? I think we do it way too early. We just haven't developed the confidence and the self-awareness yet, but I think it's because <laughs> when, if we were, if we did that now, I mean, you'd quit the pretend union and I wouldn't do rounds when I'm sick. And they'd be like, oh, they've learned too much. They've caught on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They, they value themselves they value too much. Their time and their relationships, not the work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be so easy to push over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> You've talked so much about your lovely parents. Uh, These days, how do you think they'd uh, describe what you do for a living? (laughs) Oh, well, it's funny because I asked my dad that last night. So, and and it's very funny because he texted me back and he said, I'm on my way to bed. I'll answer this in the morning. And so that in the morning, he he woke up and and he gave me a well-researched answer. I think he was Googling me. So we had Stacey a bit of a, is a blah, blah, yeah. <laughs> works for a feminist organization that helps women and children thrive, which is all true. But I think that my parents would tell you that what I do is that I am happy and healthy. That's what I'm doing right now. And my dad said that he knew that Doug was the right man for me because I'd never been healthier. Oh, that's so lovely. yeah. So yeah. so that's what I do. And my career is really important to me, and I love the YWC Muskoka, but I also really value balance and community and, you know, creativity. And so the other stuff I do in my life is just as important. What are you looking forward to in this Mm. 2022 year? Live music. Oh. <laughs> oh my God, I'm such a live music junkie. My dad and I, we go to tons of concerts together, historically. One year we went to 33 concerts in 52 weeks. Uh, yeah, it was wow. a really good year. So I really, you know, the process of theater is similar to going to a concert to me. That high that you get where, where your brain kind of shuts off. And then you're just elevated to some other, you know, stratosphere is what happens with me in live music. It really, really feeds my soul. I can be on a buzz, like a high for days. So I've really missed that the last last couple um, years. So I've got some concerts lined up and 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 with lots, lots of my favorite peeps, whether it's my, my dad or my friends or, or Doug. And, and that's going to be so exciting. Do you have any final words of wisdom? <laughs> this has been seriously 45 minutes of words of wisdom. Oh Holy. my goodness. I All I really want to say is I want to thank you. I, I, God, I'm going to get emotional. When you asked me, I just thought you had made a mistake. And I just didn't think that I had anything to say. And I'm really, really struggling with Doug to talk to him about what I should say and how could I possibly have anything to say. And it wasn't until I forced myself to sit down 
to evaluate my first and second and what I call my third act of life that I realized that 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 there's more and there can be more COVID has been so awful in so many ways, Mm -hmm. but I think I had convinced myself that there was nothing left or nowhere to go, or I couldn't make a change or I don't know that amount of static for so long has been so damaging to so many people. And the act of preparing for this being asked to do this really, it's been a gift, Janet. So I just want to thank you. So glad. Oh my God. I'm so (laughs) excited for you to watch this back because I'm just, I knew this was going to be an epic talk because we've had epic talks. Yes. (laughs) It was so epic. (laughs) I'm just like sitting here just like in awe of you and your, your words of I hope it hasn't been too heavy. I don't didn't want it to be heavy because I think my whole point about all this is, is because I experienced lightness and joy during those years of my life that I now know what it can feel like. And it's really important to keep searching for that, you know? And so, um, yeah. And I, I'm just so thrilled to have met you and, I feel like a meeting of the minds. It's just been so lovely to kind of like dig in there. Like what's in there? She's fascinating, you know? So likewise, likewise. So thank you for doing this. And and I can't wait to hear all of them because I really feel like you're, you're giving a gift to a lot of people. Oh, that really means a lot. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and thank you, Stacy, for being my guest this week. Oh, girl, I hope you watch this episode back and you're just like, dang, I am wonderful, because you are so wonderful. I hope you will all continue to tune in this week for the next episode, which is airing now. It is Doug's episode, Stacy's wonderful husband. I hope you'll tune in. Second Act Actors is produced and edited by me, Janet McMorty. Theme music by Guillaume. Additional sound editing by David Studio. Additional video editing by Jackie Wadewer. Show notes written by Sarah Hopkinson. I record using Riverside FM. If you're interested in developing an interview-based webcast like mine, I highly recommend this platform. Shoot me an email and I'll direct you to the wonderful folks there. If you or someone you know is interested in being a guest, email me at secondactactors at gmail.com. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with your friends. My love language is words of affirmation, so compliments, constructive criticism, and feedback are always welcome and encouraged. Negative Nancys, Judgy McJudgersons, or Debbie Downers, unless you're Rachel Dratch, regarding me or my guests are not welcome. It takes serious courage to share your story with the world, so if you're tempted to negatively comment about someone else's story, please ask your therapist why you're such a garbage person. Save the drama for the stage. On that happy note, I hope you'll tune in next week for another episode of Second Act Actors. Bye! Bye!